Farah Mahasri. And I'm Nivia Trujillo. Welcome to our four-part podcast, Shifting Paradigms, a conversation about power and our relationship with work. In episode one, we explore fundamental questions such as what is work, how we measure it, and where and when work happens. In episode two, we argue that because the nature of work has changed and we are in a period of assimilation, we need to also assess the current power dynamics between employees and employers. In episode three, we share a few tools that help us ask broad questions and really center goals, not tactics, so that we can address the existential crisis around us. And in episode four, we wrap up our podcast with a deep dive into how we can humanize our workspaces and the role of technology in those efforts. Before we get started, we'd like to offer a disclaimer. In our podcast, we speak from our personal experiences and mostly address the state of being for quote-unquote white-collar workers and white-collar jobs, those that happen behind a desk and behind computers in the United States. We want to acknowledge that this is only a small portion of the workforce and work experiences out there. Welcome back to our podcast. Thank you for joining us for episode three. So today we're going to talk about paradigm shifts. We are going to then talk about frameworks that help us center our goals and help us achieve a paradigm shift. And we are going to round out our conversation today by talking about how we can humanize our workspaces to get to a future of work that is inspiring and spacious and all of the good stuff. I'm so excited about that. It's going to be fun. So what we're saying too is that we're facing and what we're arguing um, in our podcast is that we're, you know, we're having an existential crisis that requires a paradigm shift, not quick fixes. And it requires a paradigm shift because we're so programmed to think of solutions before we actually fully explore and understand the issues that we're confronted with. And so what we are saying is that what we need now in this moment is not solutions, but more understanding and exploring of why this is happening. Yeah. And one of the reasons why I wanted to at least spend some time, Nidia, with you talking about this is I was recently listening to another podcast about the future of work and it was very interesting. It was really exciting stuff. And of course, at the end, they were like, so what do we do? And not to diminish everything else, but one of the things that they took away from it or like the steps, what do you do? How do we move forward? Was a discussion about how going back into the office is harder for women and therefore women should buy more comfortable shoes and bring shawls into the office so they can mimic some of the comforts of home in our workspaces. And to me, that was just emblematic of how we are so programmed into thinking about the solution and the action and the thing, this bite-sized thing that I can do today that we can take the most complex and pressing discussions of our time and boil it down to women should wear more comfortable shoes. My mouth is completely wide open at that, but it's also not surprising. I recently read an article in Forbes about uh, a CEO, and I forget what company, it's not important, but his solution to addressing inflation was to force people back into the workforce. And, you know, very similar to what you're saying, we're one, focusing on solutions, and two, focusing on the wrong thing. Yep. 
And it is, it's such a powerful draw because I will admit I do it 100% of the time. Every time on social media I come across an article that's like top five things you can do today, I click on it. It's a Pavlovian response. And part of the reason why we're doing this podcast and having it in such a conversational format is to pull even ourselves out of this that sense of immediacy and the sense of like we must have actionable everything and to spend some time particularly in today's episode to think about the analysis to think about what are the big questions in front of us what are the things that aren't the quick fixes yeah and that seems to be sort of a common issue for us now and that is that you know we fill our lives with so much responsibility and things to do that I would argue that most of us are reacting to situations, not actually contemplating them. And very much of what we're seeing right now is, you know, employers reacting to what's happening. And yes, as you said, those micro solutions are going to help, but they're not going to cause the shift that we need. Exactly. And, you know, again, then this is the reason, part of the reason why we, those quick fixes aren't going to solve it. Whereas, and maybe in other situations, a quick fix is the right way to do it, or the quick fix is the fix. It is the thing. When we're facing an existential crisis, we need a paradigm shift. So we wanted to share some of the research that we found on why we are arguing we are at an existential crisis, that it's not just you and me having a bad year. No, no, no. And I've checked it because (laughs) I, 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 wanted to make sure I wasn't alone, and I'm not. Um, According to a Gallup poll, uh, it's a global poll, uh, and the poll is a life evaluation index, which essentially asks people to essentially uh, rate their present life and what they expect their future life to be. Now, it's very existential. That is literally existential. And 80% of the respondents uh, indicated that they're either suffering or struggling. And to me, that's such a mind boggling number. Globally? Globally, 80%. In terms of well being, uh, employees rate their current and future lives and how strongly employees believe that their organization cares about their well being. And to this question, 66% say they're struggling meaning they're not doing well, and two, they're likely not getting the kind of support from their organization that they need. Yeah. Again, big numbers, right? This yeah. is not just a couple of people. No, this is this is huge. And then McKinsey came out with a, a report uh, citing the reasons why people have left the workforce. 35% indicated that it was because they don't have enough caring leaders. Another 35% Uh, argued that it was because there weren't sustainable work expectations. And another 35% indicated that they left because they lacked career development and advancements uh, opportunities. I'm guessing a lot of people didn't say it was comfortable shoes that was, or lack of comfortable shoes that was driving them from the... (laughs) (laughs) I, I would bet that there is not even one person who would have answered... Shoes, right? <laughs> or shawl, right? And again, this is, I think, indicative of the fact that we are we're we're thinking people are being driven right now in this moment by really big things, and again, it's big numbers of people. So uh, the another McKinsey report also found that 
40% of employees are considering leaving their jobs in the near future. Oh my gosh. 40%. That means this, this hemorrhaging isn't over. <laughs> yeah. Um, and in that, it's not just that people are shifting jobs, but they're shifting entire industries. They're just, they're done with everything. The other thing that I found that I think is really important is that, again, this is a, an, a it speaks to the fact that we're not alone, is that while these are trends that have been building over time, it's not like 80% of people are just miserable all the time or That's that 40% right. of people have always just considered leaving their jobs. So there was this, another survey done by Garner that found was measuring shifts in attitudes since COVID, since 2020 and everything that's happened since 2020. And these, again, huge numbers, right? So 65% of people have said that um, that COVID and everything that's happened since has shifted my attitude to the value of aspects outside of work. Mm -hmm. So in other words, 65% of people are saying all of this has made us rethink how much I value things besides work. And same number of people, percentage of people, 65% have said that COVID has made them rethink the, po uh, the place that work should have in my life. 62% of people have said, this made me long for a bigger change in my life, right? So these are deep yearning, like this is really meta stuff. A hundred percent. It has made me want to contribute more to society. So over 50% of people surveyed said that every, since the pandemic started, since 2020, they are now thinking more about their contribution to society, questioning the purpose of their day-to-day -day life. More than 50% of people in the last two years have start, have said that this is not something they worried about before, but now with everything happening are questioning the day-to-day -day of their life, not the big stuff, even the day-to-day -day yeah. of their stuff. And 50% of people have said it has really changed their expectations toward their employer and what they want. Just well, there you go. And, 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 and if it isn't clear from those statistics that this is actually an existential crisis, I don't know how else we can evidence that what we need is a tectonic shift. And then the other thing that I found in all of this research that really kind of stuck with me was a quote from an, um, an MIT Sloan article around some of the survey and research work that they did. And they stated that the talk of meaning and value and all of these other things in work tends to get crowded out by talk of efficiency and effectiveness. Mm. And to me, what that says, and I think this is also what you and I have experienced yeah. and heard and in other places, is that we start with the really big, like, oh, my God, what are we doing in our lives? Yeah. And we end up talking about effectiveness, efficiency, productivity, again, those actionable things. And today, we want to spend some time saying, let's not go there. We want to talk about the deep issues, about the human issues. Yeah, the big questions. Um, so we're going to start off by uh, sharing two frameworks that we use in our work yeah. that help us stay in the big question, that keep us from going to the like, get comfortable shoes, That's right. wake up early, eat less avocado toast, like all of those kinds it's of things. More of a contemplative process. Yeah. One of the tools that we want to introduce you to is targeted universalism. And this is a framework that comes out of the Institute for Othering and belonging. Othering and belonging on the UC Berkeley campus. Um, and what this framework does is it helps us identify a universal goal and then helps us find targeted or differentiated approaches to achieve that goal. So that means that we've agreed on what the goal is, but we've also recognized 
that a solution or solutions will require different approaches. Yeah, which is lovely because I think we can all agree that what you and I might need is slightly different. 100%. What different companies need are slightly different. What even different societies might need are slightly different. That's right. Uh, but it can all also lead us to a common goal, to a common something. That, and that's why this is such an effective tool. Yeah. Because it's not focused on how we get there, but where we want to go. My background is in education, and so one of the other tools I use is universal design for learning. Very similar concept. It says, let's ask the big question first and then worry about how we get there. So what I've seen often in the education space is that we talk first about, well, how do I teach a child math? Or even more problematically, which we spend so much of our time doing, is like, how do we test if a child is learning math? Mm. And what universal design for learning is says, whoa, whoa, whoa. We'll get there, but before we get there, why are we teaching children math? Yeah. What is the purpose? Why, why, are, why are they learning? Why are we teaching? And I ask all of you to sit with what happens to your mind, what happens to your brain when you ask such spacious questions? Yes. Because you don't, auto, I at least as a former educator, don't go test. Oh my gosh. <laughs> right? It's that like, is... I'm not teaching math so I can take a test or my kids can take a test. It's critical thinking yes it's the problem solving problem solving it is the necessity of this thing yeah and really by centering this question of why do we learn has helped educators fundamentally reframe approaches to education yeah and so that leads us back to the first question that we asked ourselves when we started this podcast and that is why do we work so why do we work and, and basically, one of the main reasons we work is for the ability to lead a dignified life that gives us the spaciousness to enjoy other aspects of our life and that allows us to fulfill our basic human needs. Um, work also gives us community. And as social beings, belonging is an incredibly important part of uh, who we are. Yeah. And then, you know, there's this thing, obviously, that I would argue that all of us um, are eager to contribute to something that's bigger than ourselves, right? So whether it's a mission that you're really passionate about or whether it's a product or a service that's being developed that you're really passionate about, the workspace is a good sort of portal to, to use that. Yeah. And this isn't so, and in the same way that you know, universal targeted universalism and universal design for learning really asks us to stay with those big questions yeah. and those big concepts. We wanted to point out, we're not saying that um, work allows us to live like scrape by and have a barely viable life where we're always stressed out. We're saying it. we want to work so we can live a dignified life. That's right. Right. And this community and belonging, I think, is also really important for us as adults. Like, I want to be able to have a conversation with a peer about a thing I care about. So right. whether it's you and I talking about organizational development or nonprofit sector, whether it's, you know, people working in tech being able to talk about a new thing about like the potential of self-driving cars about yeah. we want to connect to other adults about things that we're interested in. hundred percent. It's almost the, the adult version of, I want to get on the basketball team. Yeah, right? It, it <laughs> totally. exactly is that. Like, we we want to, we want to talk to people beside that. That's right. Our because, immediate families. Because it makes us feel seen in different ways, yeah. right? And what I, you know, 
you'll notice that none of the things that we indicated here have anything to do with hoarding money or wanting to be rich, nope. with wanting to screw over our coworkers, or even working ourselves to an early grave, although unfortunately many of us are doing that unknowingly. What we're saying is we work to have purpose, to have meaning, and to belong. Yeah. And I, I love the especially that point we made just now about some of us are inadvertently doing the wrong things though. It's again, because when we're not thinking about why we work, mm -hmm. we just kind of show up and trudge through it. We start making decisions that lead us to the wrong goals. And yeah. that's why, again, we're saying, let's spend a little bit of that time thinking about those big picture things. That's right. And then once we agree on some of those big picture things, we can start talking a little bit more at the practical. Again, not down to the comfortable shoes or avoid avocado toast level. No, but 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 key yeah. elements that will make this sustainable. Yeah. So when you, Nidia, think about leading a dignified life, what is like an example of one thing you do need out of your work? Well, I need to immediately, the first things that come to my mind is I need to be able to have housing and pay for food. So, you know, fundamentally, that is basic human needs, right? And then there's another side of me, right? The side that needs to contribute to society in different ways. Yeah. So when we talk about like the basic needs, you and I need a salary. We need money. One of the things we want to highlight is that there is a difference between saying, I need compensation to allow me to live a dignified life versus what the way we are by and large thinking of compensation as a society right now, which is a reward for productivity. Nope. And that's that's exactly the issue, right? That the issue is that we're um, quite frankly assigning the wrong value, right? To it. And we're not just talking about salary uh, when we're talking about compensation. We're talking about benefits, childcare, parental leave. Those are things also that support living a dignified life. Yeah. Right. And so again, it is, it's, it takes us from this like transactional, I do a thing, I get some money to a, the money is only there in support of bigger things. That's right. Same thing with like community, right? So I think there's a lot of things that we can say around what we need to have community. Um, we won't talk about all of it today, but one of the things that we do need to be, to have community, to feel like we belong is balanced power. Yes. And this takes us back to what we had talked about in our last episode is about the need to balance power between employers and employees. Yes. It, that balance of power, that rethinking is critical for this higher level need that we have. That's right. Which is to belong, to be in community. How about if this, this notion of having purpose, of contributing something to bigger than myself, of having value that's connected to work? How is that different than what we think about now often? I think that for, I guess, the longest time, you know, it's really been about, you know, our focus has been about climbing a ladder, about, you know, ascending positions, about being the big boss. But for me, in my personal case, you know, every job that I've ever had has been, the decision to join that organization has been driven by the mission. It is extremely important to me to spend my time doing something that's bigger than myself. That gives me a huge sense of meaning and purpose. And again, we're not saying that titles don't matter or that you shouldn't have promotion opportunities and growth opportunities. We're saying there's a difference between saying the goal is 
the title. The goal is the position versus saying the title and the position are part of that journey, are an ingredient that contributes to the actual goal. That's right. Which is for us to have purpose and connection to the work we're doing, to have a legacy, to contribute to something, to be able to say my life, this is what I did in my life. Yeah. What I did in my life is not achieve a title. What I did in my life was support a mission, build a product, think of something new. That's right. And there's, we can go on and on, but again, we wanted to give a couple of examples of how this type of thinking helps us think bigger picture. That's right. I guess my other question is, so again, to talk about, go back a little bit to what we were talking about last episode is the power relationship. Yes. One of the things that's important to us is also to name that these are not individual goals and they're not just employee side goals. That's right. These are our shared goals. So just as a quick example, this need that I have to contribute to something meaningful is a shared goal with my employer. My employer really needs me to want to contribute to something bigger because that's also what fuels the stuff they put out into the world. That's right. Right. And so this is this is also saying that this is another way for us to help really rebalance power between employers and employees because because it, it is about thinking of shared goals. It's about removing that competition where it's not us against the employers, it's employees and employers working together to achieve these shared common goals. And that's why we talk so much about being in partnership with your employer. And, and, and it's about acknowledging that you, you need each other yeah. um, to, to do what it is that you're doing. So that's a lot. We've been talking a lot about the what. Yes. The existential crisis, big questions. Let's get a little bit lower. Let's um, ground this a little. Yeah, <laughs> and talk about how do we get there. So Nidia, you do a great job of talking about some of the things we need to do. To how do we get to this? Well, I mean, to me, it's all about centering the human. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that what has happened is that we've moved away from using human-centered solutions to looking for solutions, as you said, that have quick fixes, that make us more efficient, that make us more effective. But I think in that process, we've also uh, diminished our own potential to contribute to those solutions. And so it is extremely important for us to humanize workspaces, independent of whether or not people are going to return to the office or whether they're going to work remotely. What we're saying is that Uh, employees, as you said, we have shared goals and that employees need to have uh, participation in defining where and how that work is going to get done. And that's one of the elements that we can that we can sort of drive to make our spaces more human. And the other and related to that one is that, you know, the relationship between employer and employee, and we've said it, you know, it's a it's a it's a power dynamic and it's extremely imbalanced. Um, And we would argue that instead of you know talking about how we're going to redefine that relationship an easy thing that we can do now is to try to move from codependent relationship with our supervisors to an interdependence right and i think that also supports the philosophy that we are in partnership and there should be equal power and equal responsibility yeah i love that because that also it, it comes down to the level of us also talking about on an individual level between us and our bosses or even us as employees, That's like right. coworkers. Exactly. 
Um, and that, and I, I know when you'd also mentioned something that really stuck with me is about that not having power and not talking about power is actually dehumanizing in and of itself. It absolutely is. It takes your power and agency away. Yeah. Um, and I think you're absolutely right. You know, when we're talking about how we're relating to others in the workspace, we also have to reframe how we see each other, right? Because right now we see each other as competition. Yep. How much is Farah making? Is it better than me? You know, why did she get that job and why didn't I? And that's just so toxic and not the right way to go. So what we're saying is, let's try to shift that culture of competition to one of equality. Yeah. And so, okay, so when we talk about humanizing our workspaces, a lot of it is around talking about power. A lot of it is talking about shared goals, moving away from competition, moving away from productivity. It's also about recognizing that we bring human capital to work. That's right. So what, and it is about, so human capital, it's about us acknowledging we're multifaceted beings. It's about really talking about human design center or human centered design principles. Sorry. Yeah, for um, sure. So let's talk a little bit about that. What does it mean to bring our whole selves to work? This is like a, such a catchphrase. I hear it kind of all the time, right? Yeah. Well, it means that I'll talk about me. You know, when I show up, I don't show up just as the worker in Edie. I show up as a, a mother. I show up as a wife. I show up as a daughter. I show up as a friend. And, you know, those lanes don't neatly stay where they, where they need to be. There, there's a lot of fluidity in those dimensions of ourselves. Um, and I think that a lot of the thing, a lot of the workspace, the workspace is currently built for us to show up as workers. I mean, it is, it's to me, it's this question of, I think in the past, our impression, our, our standard was, media, you can be a mom at home and you are a worker in the office. And we have you from nine to five and from nine to five, you aren't going to think about your child. Mm. Was that ever true? Did you ever go nine to five without thinking about your child? 100% not. I mean, yeah, let's face it. We all, you know, had to take phone calls because our child was sick or the teacher needed to talk to us. Uh, we've all had to do an emergency run to the dentist because you chipped a tooth. Yeah. Life happens and it doesn't happen outside of the nine to five schedule. And the other thing I think that we've talked about this is that encompasses all of our lives you know we don't we don't finish work and go home yep. and and be done with work it follows us yeah it follows us through the night it follows us in the morning and in that way i'd say that our employers have access to us almost 24 7. there is no disconnection if you will but what's fascinating about that is that while our work is allowed to follow us home our home life isn't allowed to follow us to work yeah yeah. And so I think this is, you know, I think we talk a lot about being able to bring our authentic selves to work and all of this. What we're arguing is using some of these frameworks and really digging into the issue is also recognizing that when that happens, when we humanize our workspaces, when we allow ourselves to bring our whole selves to work, it's all going to start to look a little bit different for you than it is for me, than it is the person sitting next to you. 100%. Right? And that is going to be because you're going to bring different things into the workspace. You're going to need a slightly different schedule or different levels of flexibility in your life than I will need. That's That'll right. be different. And even if we think just like, if I know it's sometimes we're like, all parents need this, but I'm also like, there's a huge difference between being the parent of a toddler and being the parent of a teenager and being the parent of a person who's in their fifties. 
there is a huge difference between I need to run to the, my dentist, but my dentist is next to my house three hours away versus my dentist is next to my office. That's right. And so what we're really arguing here is that it's not just enough to say, yes, be you. It is about us creating the flexibility and that adaptability in our workspaces that allows for it, that doesn't punish it, that even encourages it. And again, that's what we mean by acknowledging that we're multifaceted beings. And it's not only about acknowledging and accepting it, but creating spaces for us to, to thrive as multidimensional beings. I think the other thing about that you've brought up and that I really appreciate is that in order to humanize our workspaces, we really need to understand what it is that we bring to work as humans, yes. as human capital. And I also always used to just be like, oh, human capital, human capital, and said it, I never broke it apart. Yeah. What is human capital? Well, it's not just you. And I think when we think of HR or human capital, we think people, right? And yes, in an oversimplified way, it is people, but that person brings knowledge. They bring skills, they bring experience, they bring attributes. And you know what? One that we hadn't thought about, but that I, in my research was just really, you know, struck by, we bring our health. Yeah. We bring our physical, emotional, and mental well-being to it. And that, that's something that you can't really assign a value to. We also bring our social capital and our networks. And so when I think of everything that we are in actuality bringing, I wonder if we're not being fully acknowledged. I will admit, the first time you said that our human capital, my human capital included my help, my brain exploded a little You're bit. like, you're crazy. Yeah, I was like, what does that even mean? Why does that, why is that work's responsibility, yeah. right? Well, and yet it's so true. If we're not feeling well, we bring a very different, different version of ourselves to work. That's right. Than when we are feeling our best. And our employers capitalize on it. 100%. They profit off of it. Yes. And that's why it has to be part of this conversation. And the same thing happened when we were talking about social capital in our network. I'm yes. like, I go to work. And I'm like, no, actually, I don't go to work. Me and everyone I'm connected That's to right. goes to work. You have a big posse. Yeah. <laughs> and they come with you. Yep. <laughs> All right. So again, That's huge, a lot. big things. What is a design principle we can use to... to wrangle all of this into something yeah well there's an approach that's been around for a really long time uh it's called human-centered design um and essentially it just centers the human as you explore the issues that you're addressing and the possible solutions and for us you know a good way to use the human-centered design principle is how do we go from the big questions to concrete actions and so, for example, let's talk about benefits. How do we talk about benefits? We talk about benefits in terms of the competitive advantage it gives to employers in recruiting. Yes. Okay. In the current state today, we talk about benefits in terms of what it costs employers to offer it. That's right. We talk about it as this benevolent thing that gets offered by employers to us as a gift. And I have yet to hear you say that it's about employees at all. It, and it's not. And, and I think that's an important observation. And, and what about compensation? Same thing. And again, it's to me, as you're talking about this, it is also bringing up that we never talk about differentiated benefits, differentiated compensation, again, yeah. to like 
what do you need versus what do I need? What is right? It's that's exactly right. It's a thing. It's a thing, and it gets offered, but that doesn't feel like it's centering a human. Not at all. Yeah. It's it's uh it's transactional. It's addressing an issue for the sake of addressing an issue, not because you understand the issue. The other thing I would say is internal communication. You know, as you're designing uh, internal communications approaches, particularly as your workforce is in different locations, working remotely all over the world, and as a result, using technology such as Slack and WhatsApp and Zoom, those are all really important tools. But I would caution us against overusing them and substituting internal, physical, in-person internal communication and just focusing on the digital. Why? Because it's diluted communication. We lose so many cues. We lose so much information by not being able to see or be in physical presence with someone. I also think about it again in terms of, you know, every time I've been part of an internal communication conversation, I've heard a lot of conversation about like, well, when we send out this all staff email, how are we mitigating the risks to the company? What can we say? What can't we say? What should we say? Oh my. <laughs> um, when we every time I've been in a conversation about like rolling out a new communications like platform like Slack or a new communications protocol, like yeah. I've gotten these like flow charts of like when to have a meeting, when to send an email. It's always about productivity. Like let's increase productivity. Let's increase efficiency. Yeah. Very few times to never have I been like, let's increase our humanness. Let's let's increase our human capital. Let's just talk about what it is. How will this make you as a person be able to show up to work as a person? That's right. That's exactly. And there are such basic questions that I think sometimes we take them for granted. And in just not exploring them, we miss the opportunity to really understand the issues. Yeah. And that is again it's like that's a huge part of the how do we go you know and so today we went all the way from like existential crisis and that's why we need a paradigm shift to the big question right it's constantly asking ourselves over and over again yeah. the big the big question why do we work that's right right and as we answered this question one of the things we want we've walked away from in our own analysis and are hoping you all walk away from as well is that as we ask the big questions, it opens us up to possibilities and ways of thinking and ways of analysis that we weren't thinking about before. It helps us better incorporate the balance of power, That's who right. has power, who's using power, what does every action, like does whose power does it increase? Yeah. And and again, this like this potential, this possibility that when we start to ask these big questions and we start to explore these possibilities, really amazing things are happen are possible. And the way we get to that action is through humanizing our workspaces by understanding, talking about human capital, by using human-centered design principles. That's right. That really start to think about kind of people at the center instead of employers at the center or profitability at the center. Or product. Or product. Yeah. And so next time we're going to continue talking about humanizing our workspaces because we want to tackle the big thing in the room, which is technology. You touched a little bit about it, but yes. there's a whole bunch. We of have a lot to say on technology. And then we're going to close out next time by also talking about systems level analysis and systems level change, which is that final piece of how do we avoid 
getting into transactional solutions or really small things? How do we stay on a path that leads us to paradigm shift and paradigm change? So we hope you'll join us next time.